welcome to this uh, this week's episode of Review Crew. I'm your host for today, LA Reviews Editor for No Presidium, Kevin Gossett. Staying on the West Coast, we have our arts editor. Hi, that's me, Laura Hess. Moving east, we have our East Coast curator at large. Hi there, it's Blake Weil. And we have our New England correspondent. Hi, hi, Leah Davis. And uh, we've got a uh, real loose show today. I think we're just going to be talking like it's our spooky season spooktacular to kind of wrap up the Halloween season in the immersive space. So um, I don't, we have a, it's very loose. I don't even have a, an outline or who we want to start with. Um, but actually let's go with Leah as you were just out on the West Coast. I know you got to experience a bunch of stuff out here. I did. Um, I would also like to state for the record that literally every time I've been on any podcast, I've gone first and I hate it. Um, so, <laughs> so, <laughs> you gotta come on more, then maybe we don't make you well, go Thank you. Yeah, you kind of take a minute to like get rolling and get the, the vibe right. But anyways, well, let's wait. Don't vibe. you feel like we should change it up then? Like you, you've now stated that clearly. Why don't we? Why don't we have this podcast be the moment to make that shift? <gasps> you would do that for me. Yeah. Why do I mean, I think like, let's like, I'm happy to start, which is going to also include you, Leah. And like, I think let's, (laughs) let's, but let's, let's, let's pivot. We're going to make some good vibes here. Okay. Laura. Yeah. Okay. So, so I'm going to start with delusion. And I, I think this is actually a really interesting topic for our spooktacular podcast session today, because we've got an interesting opportunity. I just saw it for the first time uh, last week. Um, Leah coming in, as we've said, from the East Coast, and she did a number of things that we're going to break down, but Delusion was also one of them. And then Kevin had, and she's only done it this year as well. But then we've got an interesting perspective because, Kevin, how many years have you done Delusion? So I've actually only done two years. I did Blue Blade when that ran in, I think, late 2018. And then I did um, Reaper's Remorse this year. So I don't have the full history like a lot of LA people do, actually. Uh, um but why don't you give a quick recap of like kind of Reaper's Remorse? I'll talk a little bit about Blue Blade, and then we can maybe kind of compare and contrast those shows a little bit. And Kevin, uh, from everything I know about Reaper's Remorse, you have just given Laura like the most unfathomable challenge. <laughs> the, the, the base of the show is, I think, hopefully pretty uh, explainable. I don't know if we can. Uh, we'll get into it. Okay, so um, so the so uh, okay, so this show, so I will go back to like yes, I'm going to highlight that the show is very loose. Like I didn't do a ton of um, or any, I should say, any homework about this is John Braver's brainchild, the the broader delusion sort of franchise, and I don't know, Kevin, if you know like what your Blake, what year it started, like what year are we in of so the I sort think- of. When we talked Illusion a couple of weeks ago, I think this is actually the sixth or seventh iteration of the show. Mm, um, okay. It goes way back and further, I think, even than, than Noah realized. It goes goes way back into LA, uh, like 2013, 2014, I think. And so each year it is set in a different location or is it always at... So this year, Reaper's Remorse was at the Phillips Mansion in Pomona, uh, Pomona, California which is a, a, an actual like historical landmark. It's a really impressive space. There's, a, there's actually a couple of different structures on the property. Um, but it's not, but Blue Blade was not at that same location, right? I mean, this is something that's not Correct. just iterating 
within a story that's one location utilizing these real world people, uh, the, the Phillips family. So this, there, there is movement with the story itself and also with the venue. One yeah. of the things that I've been told is pretty special about Delusion is that they always really build to the venue, mm-hmm. that they source venue first and then create a story and that would suit it well. They're so known for their effects that almost like a good magician, they need to know the space they're working with. You know, that tracks for me. Um, I went in, I didn't know any of that, Blake, and um I was trying to figure out whether or not they owned the house or if they'd somehow bought it and like done something with it because it all, it all was really, really bespoke. Yeah, I agree with that. I do think that this year, so to dive into, so just for clarity, again, this is Reaper's Remorse. It's the broader entity uh, is, is delusion. And this is delusion. Reaper's Remorse was this year's iteration. And so this is at the Phillips mansion in Pomona, California. And, um, I agree. Like, I think this is an incredible space. So there is kind of a main mansion, which is oddly set in, or I mean, it's odd in terms of, you know, now its current structure in a very like industrial part of Pomona. So um, it feels very isolated, just even in its immediate surroundings, it feels like kind of this, there's a strange disconnect, almost like this mansion just was like, um, Uh, sort of, you know, beamed down into place. And so there's the main mansion that you approach and you check in there and then there is some discovery. There's some discovery aspects. And to be clear, I didn't do the VIP version because there is a second floor. uh, And I don't know, Kevin or Leah, if you did that. Oh, I did. And I did as well. It made the experience for me. See, okay. So this is really helpful because like, I, I didn't, and I was kind of wondering, oh, should I have splashed out? You know, it's difficult during spooky season when a lot of these immersive experiences are, uh, I mean, they can be really expensive. And I we talked a lot about um, pricing in experiential and how a lot of creators aren't really, they're not making money. They're not necessarily even breaking even. And I want people to, people to be charging, especially when there is high production value, um, you know, what they need for it to be profitable and sustainable. Um, but this was another case where I was like, especially given all that there is in a place like LA for spooky season, it can be really hard to budget where you're not sure, should I add the 40 bucks for the VIP experience? And I didn't. And it sounds like, yeah, that it really made a big difference. Um, but to go back to just the general structure, there's like, um, you know, two main rooms on the ground floor of this mansion where you're exploring different letters, getting a sense of like, okay, what is the story? What is the uh, narrative foundation? And, um, and after checking in, uh, you're told that you'll receive a text message for when they are kind of ready for you to go on your, um, your, the sort of, you know, core part of the journey. I will say that in my case, we, we were surprised by how long we had to wait. Um, we checked in, uh, just before nine o'clock and our tickets were for nine and we wound up waiting about 45 minutes for the text message to, to go into the core experience. And to me, that actually seemed, uh, it just seemed way too long. Um, it just kind of deflated the energy, the momentum. We were kind of sitting around waiting for quite a while. And then, uh, and then you go through the core experience is again, um, it is behind the main mansion. There is another sort of main structure that is this, I mean, just decrepit uh, house that is 
absolutely fantastic. I mean, to me, that was the the venue, the space, the character of these homes, and then what they built within. But like the the bones of it, pun intended, were just incredible. It was it was such a fantastic venue. And so you go through this experience through, um, you know, live performances. There are actors. Our group was, I think the groups were roughly like eight to 12 people. That was true for our group. Um, and I'm going to turn it out like, you know, Kevin or Leah, why don't you jump in with the actual narrative of this year's iteration? Yeah, so I can. I can giving the hard part away. Everybody's <laughs> yeah, trying to yeah. win. I'm going to punt that. So um, I wrote in my review that I think. It starts with you. You go to visit I, Esther Phillips. Is, owns the mansion. She's sets you on a task. She uh, incentivizes you as in a kind of an immersive way. But I think part of the problem with the show was you never understood why she was doing what she was doing, mm-hmm. and that is kind of I think the the narrative framework of the show doesn't work as a whole. And then once you get over to the mansion or the the separate house that, that Laura mentioned, I think. That's where there's some individual stories that kind of talk about people who have become trapped there in the parlance of the show. And that's actually what works a little bit better. Cause I think those individual stories play out a little bit better than the, like the kind of overarching one. But I think it's always kind of a little narrative week. So you don't quite know what you're doing over there while you're doing it. Um, which poses some, some problems at the beginning and the end, which is of course kind of, where you end up leaving the show. So even if there's kind of good pieces throughout, it's kind of like a weird beat to, to end on. Where you're kind of like, what just happened? Why did it happen? How was I part of what happened? Um, <laughs> I'm not sure if Leah and Laurie felt the same way. Or you well, I, I did. Or... I did. But um, I think what bothered me the most was the... Okay, I don't know if this is a fair critique or not, but I didn't like how the experience from the moment you walk in the door is not themed especially so like the people taking your tickets and the people showing you around uh laura like you say you've got 40 minutes in the lobby area in the Mm -hmm. discoverable rooms and like there's some opportunity there even just lightly to like bring people into like a soft entrance to the show and i think that if they'd been able to do that on the front and back end um the the esther phillips beats wouldn't have seemed nearly so weird um, and I think that's why I like the VIP part as well. I'm curious to hear more about VIP, but I will say just before we get into that, like, I, so I agree with that. I think in terms of like the magic circle or the onboarding, um, I think there could have definitely been more done there. I, and, and just to expand a little bit more on the, the narrative arc, I totally agree with you, Kevin. I don't think so. So, um, Esther Phillips has, uh, an artifact, and she entrusts one of the participants in the group to take this artifact. And this is going to be, play an important role. But again, you don't really understand. There are, there's discussion around there are souls trapped on the property um, and that you are going to try to help them, release them. But I, it is really thin. Uh, it is really unclear, like or at least for me, I felt like it was really unclear exactly what Esther Phillips's role no, was beyond the it's fact very that unclear. Yeah, I mean, so we know she owns, she's the the um, you know the the woman of the house, but it sort of is like again, what? I mean, I'm a I'm a fan of of um, 
not overdoing it on the exposition front. You know, I think there are productions that kind of underestimate their audiences. Um, Mm -hmm. And I even had a debate about this uh, with the most recent Dune, you know, around how do you incorporate, especially when there is so much um, like interior monologuing, how do you convey uh, especially for audiences who don't have any prior knowledge of that property, how do, how do you convey really essential information without it feeling like exposition? And I think that in this case, there was no exposition. Uh, and I think that that was really detrimental to us have creating, at least for me, creating like an emotional toehold into this world. I felt really detached from who these characters were. And I think that the the performers were very charismatic. It's not that it was a, a performance issue. It was a writing issue. More than anything, you guys are reminding me, one of the influential articles of my childhood, I remember reading it on vacation, was this incredibly mean-spirited piece about <laughs> the movie Lady in the Water, And a group that gave a survey after screenings of Lady in the Water asking, could you explain the plot of this movie? And it was a multiple choice survey and multiple theaters full of people maybe had a 20% passing rate. And this is what this is sounding like to me. Okay, okay, Blake, listen. No one can explain this. So I I got out of the, the show with my friend and he turns to me and he goes, man, I feel really bad that we helped the bad guy. And I looked at him and I said, wait, no, we helped the good guy. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and we'd been in the same show, right? So yeah, it was extremely unclear what the motivation was at the very least. And I think, and then I don't want to like sound like we're just kind of like disparaging the show because I did enjoy the show as a whole. I think that the, just the framing device of it like does kind of weaken it. And I think you're supposedly helping the people inside or they thank you sometimes when you like, work with them with the artifact that Laura mentioned. But yeah, it's like not clear what what effect you're having on them. They they seem trapped and you might be freeing them. You might not be freeing them. You might be trapping them in this other object. It's a little confusing. Um, so I, I suppose maybe what's coming to mind for me at least is as someone who hasn't seen this show and has no context, <laughs> maybe do just think of it as a magic show. This is a showcase piece for cool illusions, charismatic actors, wonderful set pieces, it sounds like, a gorgeous venue. But that's it. You know, I'm not sure I'm not sure I would go that far. I would say just sort of don't hold on too tightly to the framing of the show. And then the little individual vignettes and the characters that happen provide a beautiful little narrative, like these small stories within the overall show. Yeah, and I think that's that's where it shines, right? Is it, it has these kind of little small stories. They each have like a couple good gags per story that are kind of like this one doesn't even lean as heavily on like the special effects that I think Delusion is known for with kind of like wire work and kind of like stunt falls and things like that. It's it's pretty like good like horror type gags that I think work really well and are kind of like they're spooky. They're like fitting for the house and the narrative and the story. It like the stories that are happening inside. Um, so I think that kind of like maybe brings it more to the delusion room. But yeah, it's kind of like a haunted house story, sort of, but not like a traditional haunted house. I'm going to, I really agree with what Leah said. Um, and I'm also going to push back on 
some of my frustrations a little more because I think that while the venue is truly incredible, I really do think it was saddled with doing more of the work than it should have been. And I think that that is something that uh, I, I just think that that's worth saying out loud. There were even things that I was frustrated about in terms of taking me out of the world. Like um, there is a moment where, uh, so, you know, spoilers, uh, stop if you don't want to hear greater detail, um, where there is a, um, a skeleton dummy who is, uh, who falls down, who is, who, had hung herself. The character had hung herself. And this is a skeleton dummy that then it's a, you know, kind of a a bit of a jump scare. And based on then where you go physically in the space, you then wind up coming back by that skeleton, which is now reset in its uh, launch position. And I was like, that immediately took me out. And I was like, I just think that there there were details like that where I think that there's a lot that we can allow for, whether it's with the narrative or, again, the venue does a lot of heavy lifting, and that's really great. I thought the space was amazing. But I also think like those kinds of details, there has to be a little bit more of a careful approach around the limitations either of the space or the limitations of the audience flow. And how can you avoid things like that? Because when you see that a prop is reset, um, you've just experienced this kind of moment. Is you know you've, you've interacted with the sort of ghost of this character um, who's a live performer, and then um, find out that she she didn't make it. She hung herself, and um, and this powerful moment gets totally even within the context of this kind of like so, you know haunted presentation. Yeah, go ahead. That one's weird because I think on my night they didn't reset it in between. So I think you're actually walking up the stairs and you walk past it and you can see it's a dummy, but it, it does capture, I think probably that's some of that emotion that you missed out on if they like reset it and you see how they reset it versus it's kind of like you have to walk by it hanging there, um, which just kind of added the emotional impact of that whole sequence, which I think is one of the cooler ones in the show is it kind of utilizes some like different special effects things. It's kind of a big, interesting space. Um, So bummer that kind of like, you out of it yeah and maybe that was an anomaly there was another thing that i thought was interesting so because um so again you know getting granular so spoilers but um there's also the way that kind of the emotional investment where you know how the stakes are raised for the audience specifically is that we are toasting esther when we first meet her in the main mansion and then she reveals after having, you know, a little bit of, of water in these cups that uh, the we've just all been poisoned. And I had actually decided not to, I didn't take the cup. I didn't drink from it. Um, I had a mask on. I left it on and um, just, d- just decided to forego it. And so then when there was that reveal, I, you know, it's kind of like, oh, well, I haven't been poisoned. Like, um, and the actor, and, and the the actor, to her credit, I mean, she did make a comment to me. I couldn't actually quite hear it. Um, it was a little too under her breath. She did make a comment that she, I mean, she'd noticed, uh, and so I thought that was a a, a great sort of, um, uh, you know, just kind of save and way to kind of make up for, um, or just at least to acknowledge. Um, the reality of the situation, which I think is is really important and impactful, even then, if the the kind of you know rules of the world now don't apply to me in the same way that they were written for the entire audience. But I think some of those details are really interesting to think about where we 
you know, did had they considered, um, well, what if people opt to not drink from the cups? Like, you know, what does should we build in any kind of little sub narrative? Is that <laughs> worth it? How can you even do that when you're dealing with this volume? of audiences. So I think, yeah, for my experience, there were little things where I was just like, oh, you know, it, it kind of, again, I'm getting granular, but I think that they, it's interesting how those can make a really big difference. Well, Laura, we had somebody in my group who was refusing to drink. Um, and there was sort of a bit of a kerfuffle going on. Oh, uh, not, it wasn't like aggressive or anything. He just really didn't want to. Um, and finally it sort of became obvious that he didn't want to drink alcohol by accident. Um, and so like, okay, right. So the actress, uh, said, well, don't worry, it's water. (laughs) Like, well, okay, fine. Uh, And then he drinks it. And then she immediately says, well, surprise, now you've been poisoned. (laughs) (laughs) Like, oh, (laughs) yeah. And I do do think anything that we're ingesting, especially like for so many reasons, whether it's allergy reasons, whether it's someone who's sober, what, you know, for whatever Mm -hmm. the, like, I do think that's also, and obvi- I, I mean, it may not be obvious to everyone, but what's happening in my mind is, of course, we're we are having this podcast on the heels of this horrible shooting tragedy on a film set, and so mm-hmm. I do think that there are there are questions around safety um, that I think do translate into the immersive space in ways where you know clearly everyone was was fine. It was just water, but I think it is an interesting and worthy discussion around when you are asking participants to ingest something, how do you, how do you navigate all of the different angles of that? And even, even on a second kind of separate level from that, I think we're still in the middle of a pandemic. Everyone's wearing masks in the show. And one of the first things they do is ask you kind of like take your mask down for a second, which it's just to take a quick sip of, of water, but it, it, it's a weird beat to kind of start the show on. It is. I think so too. And I, wish, I wish it hadn't been plastic cups. I know. Now, now we're getting granular. <laughs> no, that too. Very funny. This is very funny because my show that, that I saw this week, The Poison Garden, started out the exact same way. Oh. And I, I, you know, it's been in development for a long while as well. I think it's just an odd coincidence. Uh, we all got raspberry infused vodka shots at the beginning of the show. Um, as we were entering the historic mansion, and then during the opening speech, uh, voila, you've all been given hallucinogens! So, I mean, (laughs) I think this is just a trend right now, and as, you know, uh, not to to say I don't care for safety, I am very safety-minded, as a lot of people who know my writing know, I can be a little harsh about that, but... I'm also one of the maniacs who eats the toast at the McKittrick when I go to see Sleep No More. So, like, I love an ingestible. I am always thrilled to see it. (laughs) But so I'll actually ask you, did they have, because again, for people who are in recovery, that is a very important issue. Did they... I would have preferred if they had a non-alcoholic option as well, especially because it was this sort of sweet raspberry cordial. A little bit of Tarani syrup and soda water would have been fine. But by that same token, you know. But did they let you know? Was They there... did let us know. Okay. They okay, did let okay. us know. They said, oh, it is raspberry and vodka. And that was all that it was. But within the narrative of the show, those weren't raspberries per se. They were a special herb from the garden. Okay. 
I, I do like disclosure of ingredients up front, no matter what. That, I will say, is mandatory. You know, I, I think it's important also to point out that we're um, we're picking apart these little details because the show is pretty great and it has so much potential. And like at some point you're just picking apart the stuff that's like, man, you really could have gone from really good to quite great with yes. just a few tweaks. Yes. Yeah. So was there anything that you guys particularly like enjoyed in it as your as your first illusion? Did you get any of the kind of the cool – I know there are a couple of different like one-off sequences where – can either be taken off by yourself or I know there's one where you kind of lie in a bed and you get a different perspective on a scene. Mm-hmm. Were you able to get any of those sequences, Leah and Laura? I, I did, but do you want to go first, Laura? No, no, no. You go. You go. Okay. Um, so there were a few times when the group was split up and nothing too crazy, but you know, you'd get put into a cupboard or something to hide. Um, and at one point I was asked to go retrieve uh, a child that had a key and it meant crawling into a closet and sort of going around a few different corners. Uh, there were clothes draped. And I, I really like that claustrophobic feeling. Um, <laughs> for me, I really do. Like for me, a lot of the the show didn't quite hit for me because the rooms were so big. Mm. Um, and they had a slightly underfilled feeling for me. Like there wasn't quite enough detail, which is a weird thing to say because there was a lot, there was a lot going on. It was a beautiful old house. Anyways, um, so you go into the closet and everything about it just hits perfectly that the live actor is sitting with their back away, their back towards you. Um, they're on the ground. They're sort of shivering. You can see a key next to them and you're told that you have to retrieve the key without waking them. Um, and as soon as you grab the key, the antagonist from the previous scene starts slowly coming out at you from the shadows and it's an extremely creepy gag um, where a head is sort of floating towards you on a very long thin neck and it manages to turn corners and you just want to beat feet out of there um, which I did uh, and, and that was fantastic I, I still am looking behind me waiting for the, the tall woman to come around a corner I did not have that moment but I did have the around the tall woman I was asked to read the tall woman bedtime story. So this is at a similar, I mean, I you know, believe a similar point in the overall narrative. Um, and it was, I do think that that was, that story was so well written using those rhyming frameworks, the bedtime story structure. Um, and it did feel, you know, and everyone sort of gathered around um, there were elements of that that, you know, tap into those childhood, emotional, very kind of visceral memories. I also thought that one of the performers, um, I don't know if either of you remember, I, I don't know that we ever, we must have gotten his name um, at some point. Um, it's William or Matthew or... Who was the, in the wall? Yes, um, the fellow who was looking for his wife. Yes. And so that performer, so I'm so sorry that I don't know either, I can't recall the character's name or the, I don't know the performer's name. I do wish there had been, maybe one of you two can answer this. Um, I, you know, I would have loved to have also received via email afterwards a program um, because I would love to know who that performer was. He was so funny and um, and so odd and charismatic. He scared the living daylights out of me at one point. It was a total classic jump scare moment. Uh, but I absolutely 
I mean, genuinely really screamed. And my partner who was with me, um, he asked me later, he said, was that a gen, were you genuinely startled? You, you screamed so emphatically that I couldn't tell if some of it was like, you know, just kind of amplified because, and I was like, no, I was absolutely terrified. It was just an instinctual response. And it was, which was thoroughly delightful. And so there were so many great moments. And I will say the only thing that I've disagreed with Leah on this so far is that I really liked how expansive the space was because I found that really terrifying that I'm, I'm in open, like essentially something can come at me from any direction. I can't really back my way up into a space where I feel like I can protect myself. Like I loved how expansive the rooms felt and that there, I felt like there was absolutely the right amount of decay and detail. I don't think the set could have been any better. I, I do want to emphasize this, the production design, the set, everything to do with the actual decoration, I thought was fantastic. I wouldn't have changed a thing in that regard. You know, I, I'm going to go back on what I said earlier and agree <coughs> with you there, but but hold on, I I still have that feeling of feeling like it was a little too wide open for me. So okay. it had nothing to do with like the amount of of detail or set dressing going on. It was all beautiful and fantastic. I think it's just a personal preference. And yeah, I think okay. sometimes you want a, a good mix because I think the like the piano teacher room is wide open and that serves that scene really well. And there are a few others where it's like you wish they were maybe like a little tighter and like you kind of someone could kind of sneak up on on you from like just something like, cause it feels so compact. So I kind of get what both of you are saying um, and feel like that makes sense. That actor and, was uh, Zachary Smalley, by the way, and he was playing Will Schraver. Okay, nice so and are you seeing that just on the website? Where are you seeing that? Yeah, so I went to the website and found a link for players and mm. the, you have to scroll all the way to the bottom. Um, okay. The first, the first half is like production team and owners and directors. And so actually something that Blue Blade did was they actually gave you like a program at the end, which is incredibly unusual for immersive stuff. But I did enjoy that to actually kind of see like who was playing who and who all the different actors are because it listed. Because obviously they're, they're part, the parts are multiple cast. Um, so you can see kind of who like might be on in different parts on different nights if you know some of the L.A. Um, actors. And I always thought that was a cool thing. I wish they'd done that here. I think so too. I, I do think it's worth just us taking a brief moment to say, look, I do think programs, however they might be delivered, they are texted to you for Candlehouse Collective, um, which is, you know, phone-based experiences. And afterwards you receive the program via text. Um, I do think that there's different ways that obviously make more sense depending upon the experience design for that production. Uh, but I, I would... I would encourage creators to send out a program or give out a program more. I do think there is something that is really delightful about that and um, more so than just scrolling on a website. I do think it's another touch point that is worth noting. Yeah, you know, sure. I thought Creep did that really well and we don't have to move on just yet, but man, when you get spat out at the end, there's a little, essentially a, a picture opportunity with the big logo and then it's the entire program right there in a spotlight it's beautiful i'm not sure i saw that when i went and actually let's before we stay on the west coast let's go to blake <laughs> and give him a chance to talk about his kind of uh halloween season stuff um, oh we didn't get to talk about the vip stuff did we oh want to and you know what i actually want to just clarify <laughs> sorry, Wait, I'm sorry. sorry. <laughs> as we're looking at the i'm looking now on the website the the, the will shraver that i experienced was benjamin scott berg 
So I want to give a shout out to that performer because I think you said Zachary, where is he? Zachary Smalley? Yeah. And that might I, be who I, you had, Leah. Well, hold on. I'm not seeing Benjamin anywhere. Well, anyways, I think um, I'm having website issues. So, you know, ignore me. Yeah. So anyway, I just want to point out that, I mean, I thought his performance especially was absolutely fantastic. And again, I made me laugh, made me absolutely scream. I was captivated really, you know, so many different levels. So anyway, now we can move on. Thank you. (laughs) Oh, so where to start? I have been, I've been hopping all over the East coast for immersive. Uh, I've done a little bit, I've done a lot in Philadelphia. I've done a lot in New York. Um, so I, I think I'm just going to give you a quick little sort of road trip smattering of what I've seen and then focus on the recent highlight. Um, over at the Sands Point Preserve at Hempstead House out on Long Island, I saw the follow-up to Dreams and Nightmares from 2019, which I absolutely loved. And this year's production, Campsite 10, not going to lie, was a little bit of a disappointment for me. Um it was about half the advertised length. Um, it had, it's very odd to say that a show, especially on, you know, with such a beautiful, it, it took place walking you through a real nature preserve, a really dense forest. And so to say it looked cheap is a little bit odd, especially because, you know, everyone's relying on the same plastic body parts as everyone else. But, you know, when you come across a gory scene that's clearly made out of mannequins, that works in, you know, a big mansion because you're already in sort of this artificial man-made space. But in a real beautiful forest, it it totally took me out of the moment. It was, oh, one of these things doesn't belong. Um, I will say, though, and spoilers if you're going to go, the one fabulous thing that it did... Uh, that drove me absolutely batty is that it had an audience plant that gets killed about halfway through the show. And so that was mind-blowing. That really rattled us and threw us off. Um, Moving into New York City proper, um, the big show of no- Wait, here, I want to talk about the, I love a good- audience plant gets killed show because that was a big thing in in tension back in in 2016 is like you went through the whole show with someone and then they at the end of the show they sacrifice someone and the the it's like is it are they coming back out with us are they riding back in the van to the the car and they just they just don't so i love that's a great immersive they did the exact same trick um there is a van at the end of this show about halfway through the show um some cannibal hikers who have slowly been possessed by the Wendigo have ripped apart, have dragged uh, one of your fellow audience members into their tent screaming. And your guide is, just go, just go. And I'm still unsure if they just had a separate one-on-one route or if they were a plant, but they never showed up again and they didn't take the bus back with us. So that's why it's such a good gag question mark um but i'll admit that also threw me off a little bit because with with the show being as i mentioned half the advertised length part of me a conspiratorial jealous part of me is well did they get some weird one-on-one track that did run 60 minutes you know well well i only had the half hour route 
But, you know, it, it was it was a decent enough show. Moving to the city proper to a show that I was a little bit less forgiving of was uh, over at Museum of Future Experiences. I did their uh, Underworld Radio Volume 1. And Museum of Future Experiences, their audio system is top-notch. They It is the best spatial audio without headphones I have ever experienced. Like, that is unimpeachable. Their scripts, however, leave something to be desired. Um, <laughs> this was a series of four horror vignettes through the frame story of a radio from hell. At the end of the day, and if you hear a if you hear a beeping in the background, I'm sorry. Uh, you might have to cut that out. <laughs> there's there's been uh, some cooking in the kitchen. Um, the the stories didn't stand that great on their own. I'm not going to lie. Um, they were a little bit flat, a little bit one-dimensional. And at the end of the day, really reminded me a lot of, you know, uh, Tales from the Crypt, if it had no sense of dramatic irony or humor. You know, all of them kind of followed a beat of introduction of characters, introduction of characters, inadvisable actions, character death, next story. And so it, it just fell a little bit flat for me. But and so you know, wait, was, I'm going to jump in just for clarity. So this is, I'm sorry. So this is like a series of vignettes, or it's one. It's it's a series of vignettes through a frame story, and okay. you're sitting in these, honestly, for a long period of time, pretty uncomfortable Barcelona chairs with just fabulous spatial audio all around you, and they have the most gorgeous David Lynchy black lodge looking lobby and a real fun kind of ominous onboarding process where you can peruse a collection of oddities and spooky books that serve as inspirations and reference points for the story. But at, at the end of the day, there's just not much there there, I'm afraid. And what is the space? Like you've referenced the audio now a couple of times. And so is that, um, I mean, is it just because, like, the, you know, that binaural audio can really, like, uh, you, you know, you just feel so deeply present and immersed in that world, you know, feeling like someone is, is whispering in your ear? Is it is it so that or? It's it's not binaural. And okay. I'll, I'll admit there there was part of me that was thinking, God, if I had headphones, maybe this would have been even better. Sure. But this almost feels like a demo of theme park tech. This is... Four towers in the corners and one mega speaker against one of the walls. And it creates a really powerful directional audio soundscape. So you can hear someone walking around the room and you can feel when they're walking past you and when they're behind you. But nothing, no real modulation of volume per se. No, no, nothing whispering in your ear. This is good spatial audio for COVID era and for large amounts of people. Okay, okay. Um, moving on to the final show of my big New York trip, I, I resaw um, The Dark House, formerly known as I Can't See, by Psycho Clan NYC. And this was, this is a blindfolded audio haunted house with uh, headphones. And I dug the hell out of it the first time I saw it back in 2019. But literally, as I was typing up my review the next day, 
I get an email saying, nix the review, they lost the venue, and uh, they no longer want a review because the show is canceled. So They lost the venue after they'd they, already opened? They lost the venue. They had extended multiple times back in 2019, and I guess the extension just ran out or the way the contracts were structured. You know, it was a flexible extension, but I was reviewing it during one of the extensions, and they just said, nope, shut it down. Uh, so that was a real pity, because this show is a treat. This is a, an adaptation of that old short story, The Toll House, in which friends go to a haunted house and then they all get, you know, mysteriously vanished. And it's all told blindfolded and through spatial audio around you, alongside fun sensory gags. So, you know, in one scene you're in a fun house and they actually have like, a tilting funhouse floor for you to walk on during that scene. In one scene, you're walking through the weird woods outside of the house, and they've got, you know, astroturf on the floors and hanging branches and vines for you to maneuver yourself through. Um, at one point, one of your friends falls asleep, and you move your hand over, and they actually have an actor lying down next to you who you feel their hair sleeping next wow. to you. And, and so it's kind of like, the best comparison I have for it is an adult version of that old haunted house game of, you know, touch the eyeballs, ooh, it's a bowl of peeled grapes! But, you know, taken to a new level with the spatial audio and a narrative through line. And so uh, this is just kind of a fun, great show. I I really dig it. Um, occasionally, just because the venue they got this time was a lot smaller, my one quibble, they had to loop us a couple times in some scenes so that we would be in the right environment for the right audio. So, you know, we'd be, we'd be stuck walking around the same, you know, five-foot radius circle of astroturf uh, following a circular vine that we're holding on to for, you know, a good minute and a half. And after a while, that got a little bit dizzying. The old giant space they had maybe worked a little bit better. But overall, fun show. Highly recommend. And were there and any olfactory elements? Like, I've been really... I've become so obsessed with shows that are incorporating scent and smell. I, loved some of the olfactory elements. If I could highlight just a few more, uh, just giving one second for the beeping to pass. Sorry about that. Uh, friend, my friend who I'm, who's cooking uh, is, is frying some food. Okay, olfactory elements. If I could highlight a couple of the elements that I really loved, there were a couple of edibles in the show, uh, which we were warned about ahead of time, and they, you know, asked us if we had any allergies. There was, there was a candy at the beginning of, a sh of the show that was part of the frame device, a, a pill that we were supposed to take to transport us into this sensory world. Uh, and then halfway through the show, there was a scene in a bar where we all got shots. And I'm thinking, well, it can't be liquor. What is it? And then, much to my chagrin, uh, of course, it is New York hipsters. They were picklebacks. We all got shots of pickle juice. That was pretty awful in a fun way. Um, <laughs> But, you know, they've also uh. got <laughs> smells of popcorn, I think, at the carnival. They've got, you know, you know, a grassy smell, um, dusty chairs of an old car, 
when you're in your lift ride to the haunted house. So they really managed to do that. And if I could highlight one trick that was so simple, but so elegant that I love, I mentioned that there's this frame device uh, in which to explain a little bit more about it. It's a medical company uh, called Optex that is putting people in simulated horror experiences to test whether they would survive in a horror movie. And they have a whole intake process. You know, you're blindfolded, you're given this pill. And the final step is an injection in the back of your neck. And the way they simulate this injection is so perfect. They put a small circular sticker on the back of your neck and just rip it off quickly. And it inevitably catches a small hair or something. It 100% feels like your neck has been pricked. (laughs) And with the audio feeding into that illusion, it is like this wonderful, horrible sort of nauseating. I, I know that sounds terrible, but like it really gave me the heebie-jeebies in the best way possible. Um, that show sounds like a lot of fun. What was the name of that one again? That is The Dark House. I know it's it's kind of a simple title, but for a real fun show. And for those of you brave enough to take Metro North up this weekend, it is taking place way up the Metro North line uh, in the New York suburbs where my mom used to live. So that was that was fun, getting to see her old stomping grounds and then getting to see this fantastic haunted house. And there um, are still tickets available. I was just looking at the website because I was curious about, like, again, this extension and losing the venue. And I was just... So that was back in 2019 when they lost the Oh, venue. I'm sorry. Okay, I'm this glad is... that you clarified that because I was like, what happened? Because this it looks like re... there's tickets still available. This is a restaging. Okay. Um, of the show uh it was formerly known as i can't see and it was produced downtown near that world trade center shopping mall um that was the venue they lost okay got it got it now they are back in their old neck of the woods uh in the suburbs maybe about an hour on the train uh from grand central so you know Check it out, everybody. Um, if you if you've got the time to go up from the city, it is a lot of fun. I would definitely um, do that if I could. It's the website is nightmarenyc.com. Nightmarenyc.com. Yes, please check that one out. And the other show that I was really enthusiastic about was right in my backyard here in Philly. I went to see Altera Productions' The Poison Garden, and it's it's very funny that you guys were mentioning a VIP experience because. This is one of the strangest experiences I have had with a VIP experience. This was, oh my God, how do I, how do I even put this? So I, (laughs) I go into this show, um, you know, as I mentioned, I'm offered this drink and I realize that I am maybe one of three people uh, under, I want to say 55 at this show because in addition to press this show was entirely donors not to Altera Productions the theater company but to the Glen Ford Estate the beautiful historic mansion on the Delaware where this show was staged and so I am also one of the only people who is familiar with immersive theater there 
And as a VIP experience, they wanted to keep the bar and hors d'oeuvre table, might I add, a spectacular hors d'oeuvre table, delicious spanakopita, uh, <laughs> open the entire <laughs> show. And so, half second tangent, there's this old interview with Felix Barrett where he talks about the first production of Sleep No More in Boston and how they had the lights on during the show and they had no masks. And they said it was an utter disaster that people treated it like a gallery piece, that they they walked around chatting and sipping cocktails and commenting on the action and, and the mood was kind of violated. And so taking it back to the Poison Garden, it has the exact same problem. It was, or had at least, with an audience unfamiliar with it and with plates full of spanakopita while they wander. Uh, and so it's this really fun show about five people's disappearance one night and the ways that's connected to a malevolent, potentially sentient, magical garden that's just appeared at the manor one day. And I am trying my best to kind of keep my cool because I'm enjoying the show. It's well-performed. It's intriguing. The characters all seem to have a secret vice that the garden is preying upon in this very Stephen King sort of way in which evil is just this force that can pick out people's weaknesses and just target them with this laser precision and then watch them collapse like a house of cards on each other. And people are chatting and giving running commentary on the show. I get my favorite comment of, oh, I've seen him in a lot of scenes directed regarding myself. Is he an actor? (laughs) (laughs) And then something happens towards the end where, spoiler alert, um, even though this run of the show has concluded, um, one of the characters is strangled spectacularly at the bottom of this giant, you know, sweeping staircase of the house by one of the maids chasing him down. And a hush falls over the crowd. And there's this sudden realization of, oh, oh, that's what this show is. And the sandbox immersive structure just clicks with them. And from then on, people are racing around trying to follow the plot and they just get it. And this was an incredibly rewarding experience getting to see that being done. And I, I really dug it. I, despite the frustrations of the early evening, the fact that, the show made such good use of this gorgeous venue. As I mentioned, you know, there's all these private little nooks and crannies for the actors to duck into for a show that, you know, does not have, you know, the budget or scope of, say, you know, a Sleep No More sandbox immersive. They managed to work in really nice little moments of audience interaction. Um, One fabulous mean trick that got played on me Uh, And we're getting into deep spoilers for the show here. Um, They were all out in the garden watching the finale. And one of the characters who by this point has basically been possessed and has become the gardener garden's avatar on earth 
he he beckons me over and invites me to pluck a rose from one of the rose bushes of the house. And, you know, it's it's deep winter at this point. It's deep fall, rather. At, at this point, these roses are going to die. I feel no guilt over plucking one. And, you know, oh, it's so nice. And he invites me to tuck it behind my ear. Not five minutes later, he mentions about, he, he gives a monologue to close the show about how now that we've all touched the garden and been pricked by its thorns, we'll inevitably be called back. We're infected too. And it's like, ah, God damn it. Yeah. You, you brought me in with the romance of the garden and this beauty of the roses. And, and now I'm patient zero. <laughs> so Blake, Blake, there was a beautiful moment in the VIP room in um, delusion that did the exact same thing for me. And this is what I live for in immersive, um, especially in haunts is give me a reason to feel like I'm connected and in physical danger afterwards. <laughs> yes. I want to look back over my shoulder as, as I go home. That is something that unravel by Spectre Pulse in Philly. Spectre Pulse is now one of my favorite East coast haunt companies. Love them. Check them out. Everyone. Um, that was one of their things that stuck out to me. The the sense that you're a part of this world now. And no matter how much, you know, how much distance you have, you'll you'll always be called back. Ooh, it's a great feeling. I love that. Um any questions on that one? Because if you don't have any, then I want to hear more about this VIP experience, because all of you guys have been gushing about it. Well, no, I didn't do it, but I think that both Leah and Kevin did it. And I, I know that we moved on. From, we were talking about delusion at length. And I would like to pop back to that because I do. it does sound like that was a very important part of the experience. Yeah. yeah. Why don't you take this away? Right. So um, you don't really know what it is. But when you get up to the third floor, there's a little more um, area, a few more areas to explore. But uh, the intriguing part is a door that says... Uh, when the light is green, you can enter. And when it's red, you can't. No more than four people at a time. And it's um, there's a little sign that says her private collection. All right, cool. I have no idea what I'm looking at, but I presume it's going to be more artifacts um, that have neat tricks around audio and lighting and maybe some narrative that we can figure out. Instead, um, this was probably, at least I, I felt like it was probably the, the tightest um, technical bit of the show um it's all on a timer and a loop and you end up crammed in this little room um and you're asked to then crawl through a door and you had to go through this little crawly maze that's really quite unsettling um and eventually you pop out into a bedroom where you meet uh esther's husband and this is the part where it's just you and him he, if you've already gone through the maze, especially through, through the um, the haunt, especially he starts getting very worried for you, and maybe he's concerned that you can't see anything out of the spyglass you just picked up. Uh, and he, would you lie down in the bed? Do you hear anything? I mean, yes, you do hear something. And suddenly he starts talking about how the dolls will switch spirits with people, <laughs> and how I was going to have my spirit everything was going to look fine. And from the outside, people would never be able to tell. But when I left and woke up tomorrow morning, my eyes would open in the house and the eyes behind my skull would no longer be mine. Um, And all of my friends were warned not to let me walk behind them. Right. And the acting was just beautiful and quiet and intense and heartbreaking. Um, 
And I left that feeling like, ah, yeah, that's that's the emotional resonance that I wanted from from this entire experience. And did you do that before or after the the core haunt experience? I did it after and it did seem like there was improv going on. Um, I'm sure he would have had a slightly different take on it had we said we'd not been into the house yet. Because I did it before and I think it it missed some of that emotional resonance kind of like that you'd been through it and like you might be trapped there. Um, He mostly just like kind of warned us about the dolls and like kind of talked about Esther a little bit, but it sounds like actually doing it after the experience gives it more weight. Um, Yeah. It sounds like delightfully creepy and weird and fun. And um, Laura and Kevin, did either of you go down into the basement um, around the side of the building outside? Yes. Yes. So uh, that was, that was him. That was his story and his bones. Mm -hmm. Um, And now he was trapped up in that bedroom. Right. Cause there was in the um, initial two rooms on the ground floor of the mansion, there was the coded message in the tile of the fireplace that was something along the lines of like, um, what did it, it was something just like, you know, he died in the cellar by a needle. Um, it, it was, it was sort of more uh, cryptic than that. But then after the haunt, we and going down in there, we realized like, okay, that's Esther's husband. That's who the coded um, message was about. Right. Okay. So that's interesting that then that, story or that that particular character that his narrative is expanded in the vip experience may i ask if anything else came with the vip experience did you get any delicious spanakopita (laughs) (laughs) there was there was another bar upstairs that had different drinks um and at one point my my friend that i was uh at the haunt with noticed that the producer and a number of the people who'd been in charge of the show sort of came in and quietly sat around to have a little chat in one of the rooms. So I suppose theoretically you had access to other people to talk with. And a, a close-up magician actually hangs out up there too. A, a what magician? Like a close-up magician. Oh, okay. So that's kind of fun. So are there any other West Coast shows that you guys want to touch on before we we Actually, mosey into picks of the week. I was gonna, I was gonna keep it remote for a second, just so we're not so east uh, west coast based here. You mentioned the audio based shows, and I know this weekend that Darkfield Radio's Eternal is coming back, which is we're talking delightful and creepy. That show is delightfully creepy. Oh, I think. have I all of us done it? Love Eternal. Yeah, I am. I. I'm almost, you know, if you haven't done Eternal, I'm almost reluctant to say, what are you doing listening to this? Go, go. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, for those of you who have done it, and last morning before spoilers, I am a sucker for vampire stuff. And, oh. Hold on, hold on, hold on. You're a sucker for vampire <laughs> 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 Don't you mean uh, 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 uh. <laughs> I knew we could count on you. <laughs> one, one grown worthy pun. Um, no, I, I love vampire stuff. And the way that it uses immersive audio and like beautiful binaural audio to really 
I almost want to say give a physical presence to the idea of vampirism's seductive power is top-notch. Yeah, I think that, that perfectly describes it, because it's like, it's so... This is the first Darkfield radio show I've done, and it is it is wild, like, how much it makes you feel like there's someone in the room with you, or like, crawling on top of you. In your bed or... with you. Yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I will say because I, I've done I don't I think I've done all of the remote Darkfield offerings at this point. And so for anybody who doesn't know, Darkfield really specializes in it's a, a UK based company and they specialize in these um, really sensory driven experiences in total darkness in shipping containers. And the the I, I do think like they are doing the binaural audio through these remote productions in an extraordinary way. I did have some issues where I felt like there was a, I felt like personally there was a key missed opportunity with their first foray into this, which was called Double. Um, And then they've also had Visitors was their second production, then Eternal, which was the first solo production. So the other two you were doing with someone at the same time in the same physical space. And then they also came out with a trilogy called The Knot. And I still feel, so I've done all of those. I still feel like Eternal is the most successful production based on the narrative and the uh, experience design, how they're using the binaural audio. I do think that Double could be extraordinary, and I stand behind my review where, where I felt like there was a missed opportunity. Um, but I also think, and this may be a little bit of the case with Delusion, and Leah already touched on this too, I think that one of the sort of quote-unquote problems of being a, a you know a creator or a production company that is uh, carving new territory or is doing some extraordinary work is that then because there has been um, you know a snippet or even a, a swath of extraordinary work wherever it feels like that production kind of stepped out of that it just feels very obvious and it feels like you you know. Uh, it feels glaring. And so I also think that like my personal criticisms of some of Darkfield's production, specifically double, um, I think that's in part because in large part, because what they're doing is so extraordinary. So I also want to kind of couch at least some of my criticisms about delusion and also about Darkfield is that I think they're doing extraordinary work. And so when you feel like there's something that's just like it just could have gone that little extra mile as Leah said like you really really want that to happen <laughs> you know the good news is Laura um there's something for everyone and double was my absolute favorite it was <laughs> why yes, okay so but, I'd love to know why okay we don't need to go too far far into this um and I think I think I did something that uh Darkfield does not want us to do which is both times that I went through double um I did it with a remote partner so I set up uh a Zoom call, and my partner and I um, set up our spaces appropriately and then went through the show that way. And I thought it was phenomenally effective when what's what's happening is your person is now brought into the room when your eyes are closed. Um, and it's just oh mm-hmm. the transportative nature of that was just incredible for me. I also did a remote, and I think it, it does hit that that exact kind of thing where it's like, you know they're on the screen, but also maybe they're in the room with you, and also mm-hmm. that's it works really well. There's a couple like oh sorry gags in, in double that are like 
one in particular that I don't want to spoil, but they, they ask you to kind of have something nearby and it plays into something they do. And it is like, it's a very like shocking moment in the show. And I think in a way that like eternal is like a slow build, like there's a legitimate like jump scare and double that's really effective. Mm. And especially during peak pandemic at the time, it was unsettling to have another person in the room with me. Well, I'm so glad to hear that because again, my experiences both with double and with visitors was that my partner was in the the same physical space in the room with me. And I do think that that is so, I hadn't spoken with anyone who had done that with a remote partner. And I think that that is again, a fascinating take on where it was effective, how it was effective, especially during pandemic. Yeah. Leah, what what else were you going to say? Just that Darkfield also recently reopened Seance uh, in the UK. Yeah. I think that's playing through the end of this month. Um, I don't know if it's going beyond October. Before we uh, wrap up, I do want to hear a little bit about Creep as a jealous East Coast, you know, <laughs> pile of envy, you know, just, just continue to make me resent you all. Uh, tell me. Tell me about this spectacular haunt because okay, okay, okay. Large so, scale haunts like that are my jam. <laughs> the last time I was on Review Crew, um, I hadn't seen it yet, and this was when Creep and Delusion um, split pick of the week. I'm pretty sure. Yes. Um, okay. We didn't want to make <laughs> so, a decision, so we gave them both. Yeah, and that was great. And so yeah. I came in. Um, I did Delusion first. I did Creep second, um, and my after I came out of Creep, my, my feeling was if I had to choose, I would choose Creep. Um, I really enjoyed Delusion. It was great, but I live for a full immersive experience. And the minute you get in line at Creep, um, it it's there. Um, and my I thought that the spaces were fantastic. I liked the claustrophobic nature of it. Um, I really enjoyed the narrative. I think literally the only place that it fell down for me was... Um, they rush the ending a bit and then you're sort of dumped out into the side of the street with a, granted a great uh, opportunity to look at the program, but the, the, uh, otherwise you're kind of at a, at a loss at the end there. Ah, uh, the, the, then she fell problem. You're, you're yeah. transported to another world and then, Oh, I'm, I mean, I mean a loud downtown. Um, but you know, I, I felt like the characters were really interesting. They had a few, beautifully built out set pieces and rooms. Um, I could have spent my entire evening in the um, town hall area, the the town city square. Um, and yeah, so that's, that's a first for creep. And it's like, when you hit that area, it is, it's like, Oh, Whoa, like this is in this, in this space. Like it doesn't even seem like it would allow for, for what it does. And it's, it's a cool moment to like, absolutely. Walk in there. Uh, I was also a big fan of their, um, their cast was fantastic. I thought they had a nice range of actors, mm-hmm. um, a nice range of ages. There was some really interesting uh, variety in how people were approaching their characters from like very, you really got the sense that, sense that each of these people were true individuals with like very strong, deep stories that would stand up to um, interrogation. <laughs> hey, also, did you know you could buy stuff in the store in there? No, I think... So I went with Noah. I think Noah tried to give something up to the guy. Mm-hmm. I didn't know you can actually buy anything though. Yeah, I I bought one of the pictures in the um oh, <laughs> in the box of uh, people's photographs. I have uh, I think Katie Sampson, tap dance queen. All right. <laughs> <laughs> 
and yeah, so they have a lot of regular players that are always in the in the creep shows, and it's like a great like ensemble they have going on that comes back. I think every year, every show they do, and they're just it's a lot of like a good mix of actors, like you said. They're a lot of fun, and they like hit that that creep thing very well. More more generally, so this is your first creep show, kind of. How did you like feel about the the vibe and kind of what they were doing? I really dug it. Um, hmm. How did I feel about the vibe? So I, I really had no idea what to expect. And my frame of reference is um, fairly East Coast centric. And there were a few moments that were clearly tributes to the, to uh, Sleep No More, which I thought were super interesting. Um, and I kind of spent some time picking apart what that was about. Tell, me, tell me one of those, because that, you know, I want to I hear. Uh, there was a moment where uh, the singer in in the bar area of Creep um, did a rendition of Is That All There Is? Oh, and an it was done, but a goodie. <laughs> and it was done, you know, d- differently. And it had some like really interesting sort of glitchy effects to it that, that made me almost feel like, like she was a hologram or something. Like she was being ported into where we were. Um, and there were enough referential moments. I think we just, the, the whole space was, was very referential of like haunted, haunted house tropes and creepy village tropes and, uh, all the stuff that you think about for Halloween, which by the way, I wanted to talk about a bit. Is it me or is there a lot of house themed horror going on in a way that there isn't usually? Um, We're all scared of our houses after. Yeah. And I think we we had, because both delusion and creeper, like this house just mysteriously appeared. That's like the premise for both of them. And on some level I was like, Oh, doing those, those shows back to back, like really. Really makes it clear. It really drove it home. I did that and Seventeenth Door, which is prison themed, and I sort of felt like, yeah, I'm seeing, I'm seeing a, a theme here this year. Everybody's been stuck in their homes for a while, huh? <laughs> right. Okay, so I don't. I think that kind of wraps it up. Does anyone want to make a pitch for pick of the week? I think Blake, you're the only one with something, something new. So maybe it, maybe it falls to you here. I I think I I think I've got a pick of the week. Um, okay. It's a toss-up between two, but but considering one of them is new on the scene and not a a retread, I will I will definitely probably throw this to the Poison Garden again to kind of give my quick highlights of the affair. I think that it did a really great job giving an intimate onboarding to sandbox style immersive i think that the audience interactions and i hesitate to call them one-on-ones because that gives a more private connotation but these pseudo one-on-ones were really nice and gave kind of a fun verve to the piece and i also just really dig that creeping stephen king horror where you feel Almost that sense of evil as infection creeping onto a populace and maybe just to the audience. And again, that span of capita was the cherry on top. So, <laughs> well, and actually, I think too, I, I wonder if this played into the, the, like how it impacted you as well. Was like seeing immersive click for people, did that add to the show? And like, oh, definitely of- seeing, seeing immersive click for people 
was incredibly rewarding. And, you know, I, I also shouldn't fail to mention just great use of venue. Glenford is a gorgeous estate with a long history. And this made use of a lot of really nice spaces within it, including the chapel, which hadn't been open for a while. Uh, and I had never seen even at previous Glenford shows I've been to. Um, and all in all, it felt like a homecoming. It felt good to be back in sandbox immersive, dashing around hallways, trying to f follow a performer as they're ch chasing a different performer, trying to kill them. So, so that was, that was really nice to come back to. So kudos to the Poison Garden. I'm, I'm looking forward. I know that there is some intent to perhaps restage the show coming soon. So keep your eyes peeled. Mm, that's exciting. All right. And that does it. Thanks for that pick, Blake. And thank you for Leah and Laura and you for being here on this Wednesday night. I know we ran pretty long. We had some technical difficulties at the start, but um, that was our spooky season wrap-up spooktacular show. Hopefully... Uh, Hopefully we captured something you wanted to hear. One, <laughs> one podcast recording. Uh, 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 uh. Some, some terrifying puns somewhere in the middle there. <laughs> Hopefully you enjoy them. Um, on behalf of the No Pro crew, happy Halloween. Happy Halloween, everyone. Happy Halloween.